And now, from somewhere in the Houston Midtown area, it's the sit down with Slick Vic. Welcome, everyone. It's the sit down with me, Slick Vic. Um, today, I'm joined by an old friend, former co worker, uh, the very unique Adam Despain. Adam, it's been a while. Actually, it hasn't been a while since we've seen each other. We saw each other the other day. First time in a while. First time in a while. Yeah. Um, we had a little talk about uh, what had just happened to you. Um, you were training at a very fine establishment here in the city of Houston. And, uh, well, if you if you'd like to take over. So, um, so, yeah, there are, in the city of Houston, let's say something like four, five, six restaurants could be, it could be debated, is the number one restaurant in town. I, I, yeah, I, I think so. Definitely the I, best, yeah, I agree. The one I was training at, you could argue, is the best one in town. But even if you want to argue it's not, it's in the top four or five or six. And, you know, this isn't cool enough to brag about or anything. Certainly not bragging here. But one weakness of mine that's always been there is that I start off slow. For a great example, my mother used to tell me that she she thought she would have to hold me back from preschool because I wasn't walking yet. And that's really odd for a kid that's three, three and a half, approaching four years old. And she said, it took me forever to learn how to crawl. And then when I learned how to crawl, I was a bullet. I crawled everywhere. There was nowhere you, you, could, you could prevent me from going. And then it took me forever for me to learn how to walk. And my mother said that, I walked for like half a day and then I was running. I'm, I'm not the quickest learner, but when I get something, I end up being really good at it for most things that I do consistently. Obviously, if I'm going to, you know, try skiing out tomorrow for the first time, it's not going to be like that. But I, I'm a slow starter and um, I studied all my tests. I didn't get below a 97 on any of my tests. And these are some brutal, brutal, brutal tests, like learning every single ingredient, and every single sauce in the entire restaurant. I actually have my note cards over here if you really want to see them. I don't know why I haven't thrown them away yet. Um, and then toward the end, it was just really hard for me to put it together in time. I have no doubt that I would have been a success in that restaurant if I'd had just a little more time. But I have nothing bad to say about them. They gave me they gave me as much time or even a little bit more than a lot of people. They treated me fairly. I have I don't have a negative word to say about them. But I will say that it was really difficult for me when I was doing when I started taking tables over initially because you have to repeat certain things absolutely verbatim, which fly in the face of what I've been doing for ten or fifteen or plus more years, like completely different verbiage that. I just had a really tough time within the moment, especially seeing as you had to write everything down with their abbreviations. And when you're taking an order from someone, trying to remember certain abbreviations, trying to say word things exactly the way they want them being worded. And it's all in a moment with the guest that doesn't know that you're in training, and you're trying to keep it natural. It was honestly, it, I had a really tough time with this and I wasn't able to put it together quite fast enough. I, but I was literally just a cunt hair away from getting out of that training. And um, I think there, I, I could make the case of a little bit of bad luck here and there. I can make the case of, of this and that, but at the end of the day, no one there treated me unfairly. I, I, uh, at the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it done. It's not, it sounds to me like uh, this establishment establishment wants more of a, like an actor, right? With the script, they want to give you the script as opposed to being more of a, what I've always loved about being is because I, I served and, uh, I love the, it's kind of like an improv, right? 
each guest you didn't have to say it the same way you really could gauge the person kind of put your little touch on it you know not everybody wants that the same person right and they kind of want to know you need to say it like this they want it like this so it, it i i can't fault you for feeling like like, like for that being the impression that you have because that's certainly the impression that it gives off but that's actually not true okay they want you to learn some things like, like for example there's a spiel that there's like two and a half pages long of a spiel you have to memorize word for word mm. but it's really more like three three and a half pages long because there's stuff you keep having to add in right like market prices for this and this and that kind of stuff they want you to learn that spiel word for word knowing that most of the time you'll never say that spiel word for word and it was one of the difficult things between with me and my fellow trainees uh in class in the beginning part of the training process because they're like because all the trainers would be like yeah you have to know this word for word but when you do it in the mock and when you do it for guests, it doesn't have to be word for word, but you have to know it perfect, but you don't, you don't, you don't have to do it perfect. And we would constantly be like, what the fuck are you talking about? That makes no sense. And at the end of it, it made sense. It's because they wanted you to know their material, their spiel so well that you could be interrupted a thousand times and even if you don't get the whole spiel out, you'll hit the major points and not falter for a second. Most restaurants are totally cool, understanding. They expect you for a month or two or whatever out, out after you get out of training, you might be a little uncomfortable until you put everything together. This place, day one on the floor, everything's got to be put together perfectly or you're not going to pass. And that and that that's the difference. There's no question in my mind I would have been absolutely fantastic at this restaurant, but I wasn't allowed that extra time after training to continue putting everything together the way I want to. It had to be put together by the end of training, or you don't pass the mock, you don't get on the floor, and you don't make the big bucks that everyone else makes. That was the difference. But it's, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that you have to be like a scripted guy there. N not by any means. They have too many return guests and, and not as many first-time guests. So return guests don't want to hear the bullshit. So they understand it and they were actually pretty cool with it. But you had to know it so well that you didn't have to think about it. Now, uh, a little bit about yourself before your, uh, we got into talking about your current situation. Let's go back in time. Let's talk about... First of all, I, don't, I can't recall where where are you originally from? Are you from California or? That's funny. You can't recall because I never talk about it. Because <laughs> I'm not from anywhere. I have nothing to hide. My favorite answer to that is that I am a child of the world, and uh, <clears throat> yes, I'm an American and I'm a veteran and I love the United States as much as anyone else. But I consider myself just a citizen of the world. Um, my father. His retired Air Force, his, reti his father before him was retired Air Force. My mother's father is retired Marine. Uh, we have military through both, both branches of my, of my family, both sides, through and through. I'm in the middle of three boys, the only one of which served myself. I was born in Guam, and as the joke goes, I like to tell my guests, I was born in Guam because so my father was in the Air Force. Then we moved around a whole lot. And then to piss him off, I joined the Navy, and then I moved around a whole lot. <laughs> uh, uh, that's the joke I've been saying for years. It works. I got, I got a cheap laugh after you, out of you. Thank you. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so people, so people ask me, where are you from? I'll be like, I'm not really from anywhere. They'll be like, well, where are you born? 
I'll be like, where's Paul Guam? And they're like, where the fuck is Guam? And I'm like, who gives a shit? I moved when I was six months old. So like, I can't say I'm from there. Well, and let me ask you this. You're, I mean, the reason why I, I go to California, right? Because you and I are both one of the smartest people when it comes to football. Because we both... I definitely am. Absolutely. <laughs> We're Just both ride or die 49er fans. Absolutely. Of course, that's on the coast. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I put you know one on top of the other. But, you know, uh, did you... You lived there for a little while, I'm, I'm assuming? I've never lived in San Francisco. Okay. No, California. Or the Bay Area. Okay. My mother's side of the family is from Long Island, New York, and they moved to California right before my mother's senior year in high school. If you get her in the right mood, she'll still bitch about that to this day, and she's approaching 70. That was like a mini early midlife crisis for her. And if you've moved in the middle of a high school year, when you go from Miss Popular to Miss Nobody Knows or Gives a Shit About You, it's, it's a very traumatic experience. And as a military brat that moved around a bit, I, I, I can understand that quite a bit. Uh, so I'm not making fun of my mom. Totally would, but not in this case. Uh, um, but no, so, uh, but my father's side of the family is from California. Uh, a lot of it from the Bay Area-ish. Um, and my mom's mom, who was from Long Island, ended up settling down in the Bay Area for many, many years. And she would visit us, because we're a military family, we're away from all our relatives. She'd visit us once a year. And since I was the only son of the three of us, that was interested in football, she would bring over 49er stuff every year. And and I don't remember it this way exactly, but my mother has told me on repeated occasions, Adam, you were groomed to be a 49ers fan from your grandma. And the really depressing thing about it is that when my grandma died, which by the way, she died the best way anyone could possibly imagine dying. She was 91 years old and died in her sleep peacefully. Who the fuck gets that? A 49ers fan gets that. Okay, okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But yeah, no, after she passed, I asked my mom, I was like, I was like, my mom was like, is there anything at first that you want? And I was like, what would an old white grandma have that I would want? I can't think of a single thing. Would she have some fucking abacus or something? Like, like, you know, what the hell would I? And I was like, I don't know, anything 49ers? And mom goes, Adam, she gave you everything 49ers that she had. Like, I might be able to find a pair of earrings somewhere, but, like, Adam, she died poor, and she gave you everything that she had because you were the one 49ers fan that uh, 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 was in the family. And that hit me so hard. Um, but, no, so so I have a lot of family from the Bay Area on my father's side. My mother's side, you had family that settled down in the Bay Area after they were adults. And being a military kid moving around all over the place, I fell in love with the 49ers. Um, uh, Joe Montana going going up against the Bengals, pointing out John Candy in, in, in the stand, you know you know in the stands when I was in the third grade, and it just so happened that my grandmother was and my family was from California and it just clicked and it just never changed after that. Um, so I know that you, uh, when you were young, you you started playing the piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, yeah. how old were you when you started playing the piano? Uh, I have to guess, maybe six, maybe seven, something like that. Was that something that you wanted to do? Was it more one of your parents? That's a funny story. That's uh, a story I really haven't told because it just sounds so stupid. The only other time it would come up would be in like a bar when like no one would listen anyway. I'll, I'll keep this <laughs> as brief as possible because it sounds very self-ingratiating. But this is the truth. I had a neighbor three doors down, four doors down. His first name was Andy. I remember his full name, although I haven't spoke to him since we're 
or that young. Um, and he was taking piano lessons. And him and I, this is in Great Falls, Montana. Him and I would literally play kickball and fly kites together like super white boy shit in Great Falls, Montana. <laughs> that type of shit, okay? Uh, 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 no bones about it. Um, and there was only one ball in Great Falls. And I, the only thing I remember about it because I was so young is we always went in through the JCPenney entrance and there was the Orange Julius stand right there. And I remember there was one day that we went there on a Saturday specifically because he was having a piano recital with his studio in the mall. And they have cords or ribbons or curtains, whatever you want to call, call those red ropes up to keep people out. And there's a line of, of, of young kids, <clears throat> all beginner young kids, all, you know, let's say between the ages of like six and 12 or something like that, lined up to play like the one piece and move on. Just a quick, quick kind of recital thing. I don't remember much of this, but as the story goes, there was a student that was playing and I was so short and young, I literally just didn't even have to duck underneath the, uh, the red uh, marker like you see in a cinema or whatever, and creeped all the way up to this kid playing. I'll, I'll still remember the name of this piece to the, to the day I die. It's called Shanta Rob. Nothing impressive, a beginner piece. And apparently by the end of the piece, I'm standing there just staring at him afterwards. And after that, which, which is like grossly awful etiquette, by the way, you never do that to anybody. <laughs> That's like the worst thing, the, the most rude thing you could do to any performer um, but apparently, as the story is told to me, after that, every single parent went up to my parents and was like, if he's not in piano lessons, why? Why is he not in piano lessons? You should get a piano and get him in piano lessons right now. And after that, I got in piano lessons. So it called to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no Mozart, but there's actually a, a story of Mozart doing the same thing as he um, hears, a, 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 I believe it was like a piano concerto or opera. I remember what it was. But when he was younger, he floated down the stage, like, like this is in the theater, right? And he's walking down the aisle, just transfixed. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm no Mozart. I'm not a prodigy or anything like that. I, I was good when I had my moment, but I'm not comparing myself to Mozart. But apparently there's a, there's a, a similar story with Mozart involved as well. Yeah, uh, some, some, some people, the music just grabs them. And I guess I was one of them. Yeah, I have I have a very strong love for music, man. Uh, I I tried the guitar out at one point, but it was one of those things where I gave it a couple months and I just kind of stopped doing it. It's easier as a kid, not only because kids pick up things quicker, but also because when you're a kid, you have a parent going, "You will practice for the next half hour." <laughs> when you, when you're an adult, I don't know when this was when you tried to pick up the guitar, but when you're an adult, it is so much more difficult to self self motivate yourself. No, I was. Uh... Like 16, 17. Same thing then. You don't have a parent over you going, you better do this. You have teachers on the line depending on you. You have your recital. You, 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 have, this, you have this upcoming tournament coming on. You better do this or you're screwing everything up. No, when I was growing up, it was like that. It was the different side of the music industry where it was like, no, 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 no. Your instructor's reputation is depending. You're your best student. So if you don't go out there and kill it, you, you're going to you're going to maybe not destroy your reputation, but definitely fuck it up. Can you, and, and so it was a little different for me. Can you recall the first recital you ever did, or maybe? Hmm. Because do you do recitals by yourself, or were you with uh, lots of kids performing? How did that usually go down? I don't know if I can re I can remember my first recital, but I will tell you that I did a year in Great Falls under a teacher that 
may have been great. I don't know. I don't remember her name. It was my first year and no student's going to do much in their first year. I don't care who you are, unless you're a Mozart or something. Then I went to Nebraska. I studied under Jerry Niver. Google her up to this day. She's a huge, huge deal. I was a part of her program uh, a little earlier on. She taught lessons in a piano gallery. They sold pianos in a private room in the back. And so when it came to piano recitals, you would literally have, I don't know who did it, but, but, but someone, not me, someone would go in there and all these pianos that are on wheels, push to the side, have one or two pianos set up in front with, with fold-out chairs for the audience. And the audience consists of other students and their parents and their bored-ass brothers and sisters that have to be dragged along because their parents don't want to pay for babysitters for an hour and a half or something, right? So those are the people you're playing for. I can't remember the exact first one I played in, but I do remember it was, it was most likely in, in that piano hall. I don't remember what I played, but I do remember that Jerry and I ever had two students that were above the rest. Not trying to brag or sound cool here. There was this girl by the name of Jessica who was two or three years older than me who was phenomenal. She was phenomenal. And then it was me. Uh, and we were her two top students at the time. This was like over 20 years ago. Um, 25 years ago. This was a long time ago. I'm 41 years old. But yeah, so it was, it was always, it always seemed to be not a competition between us because she was older, had more years of lessons, that kind of stuff. She was clearly going to be better than me. But at the same time, uh, I remember, I remember hearing her play and me going, okay, okay. I got this bitch. Give me another year or two. I got this bitch. And I won't say I ever got her, but, but, um, unless you're interested, I won't go into it, but there's actually a story where she fucked up on stage in Jocelyn museum in Omaha, Nebraska, the point where she ran off stage crying, which is like unheard of. And I went up after her and like salvaged my teacher's reputation. Basically nice, you crushed it. I crushed it. Yeah. Nice, nice. But, but I didn't know that she ran off stage. I didn't know anything, but no one told me this. My teacher, Jerry actually tried to talk me out of playing because Hey, if one student fucks up, not a big deal. If I go up there and fuck up, that's her two best students fucking up. And that would be a really bad deal for her. But Neither her nor my parents wanted to tell me that she fucked up this bad because because the recital was set up in two phases. She was playing the morning. I was playing the afternoon. So I wasn't even around there for it. I didn't hear anything about it. So my parents and, and Jerry Niver, neither one of us wanted to tell me because if I did play, they didn't want to add the pressure to me. But at the same time, they tried to talk me out of playing. And the whole time I'm going... I've been working on this shit for months. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm as arrogant as any, you know, I don't know how old I was, 10, 11 year old kid I was. And, and I did go up there and nail it, and, and apparently that helped out Jerry and Ivor quite a bit. So you saved her reputation. Ah, ah. I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but, but certainly I didn't fuck it up. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to give myself more props than I deserve, uh, of course. So. so I do recall you telling me before that you, uh, you got a scholarship for, for your piano. So I quit playing the piano. Uh, because I got burned out. I felt like I was before, I was a performing monkey. And I remember I wanted to quit anyway, but I had a hard time telling my parents I wanted to quit because I was just too fucking burned out. I just stopped giving a shit. Every month, every other month, we're just gearing up for another, some huge event. All this pressure was on me all the time. And I was just like, man, I'm not having fun with this anymore. This is a fucking job. And I'm 11 years old, 12 years old. And so I used my father's retirement from the Air Force as an excuse. Because when we retired from the Air Force, he had to... He couldn't find a suitable job in Omaha, Nebraska. Found a job in San Antonio where we moved 
and I didn't play for like two or three years. And, and uh, it was like the last time my parents told me, hey, Adam, we're going to sell that piano because it's just sitting there and you're not playing it. You either go for it or we're selling it. And we've said this to you before, but this time, like we've already put out ads online, like, like we're going to sell this shit. And I was like, okay, I want to give it a go. So my parents found, I don't know how they did this before the age of the internet, but they found, they found among the most prolific private instructors in the state of Texas. Her name is, uh, I don't know if she's still alive, but her name is or was Marsha Buffler. And, ooh, maybe we shouldn't be saying names. Okay, her name is Marsha. I don't know. Maybe you can edit that out. But anyway, I don't have anything negative to say. But, but it, it, all I'm saying, though, is that she was one of the top talents for private instructors in the state of Texas. And she added on an extra hour of work a week after she heard me play because she was like, okay, yeah, I want to teach you. Her and I did not get along very well. I understood that she was the best teacher I was going to find, and she understood that I was the best student that she was going to find, at least within a couple age groups uh, 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 of that current time. And so we were kind of stuck together. But we did not care for each other very much, or, and we did not get along very well. Very much. But she was an incredible, incredible instructor. Very knowledgeable. She was super incredible. And married to her work. She was amazing. But um, so she told me before my senior year in high school, she said, hey, I have friends at this college and this college and this college. And she goes, look, I can already offer you two piano scholarships right now. But if you do what I tell you to do over your senior year in high school and learn what I tell you to learn it and do it the way I tell you to do it, you're going to get more. And I was like, all right, let's do this shit. And three months later, I was so pissed off with her. I walked away and it's been over 20 years since. I was so pissed off with it. I hated it. Now, recently... I know you, one thing we talked about when you uh, came over was your redisc. Was it like a rediscovery for the piano? Uh, I, I believe you were teaching uh, a, a, a mutual friend a, of ours, a buddy ours. of ours' daughter. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. So I have a piano in my living room, and I touch it maybe twice a month. It's embarrassing. Like I said, it's very hard to motivate yourself as an adult. It's a it's a nice piano. What kind of piano is it? It's actually is a very nice piano. It's it's a plug-in piano, an electric piano, but it costs as much as a quality upright. Uh, I bought it for uh, not only does it save space, but it, but I also bought it for other reasons. Which, if you're curious about, I'll let you ask me, and I'll get into it. Otherwise, it's just a boring conversation about uh, pianos and four-door upgrades for wooden keys instead of plastic and bullshit like that. But. Um, I don't play. I don't play very much, and it's something I want to fix soon. Otherwise, I'm renting it every month for fifty dollars a month, and it's just a huge paperweight that's taking up space in my living room. I need to figure that out soon. I need to shit it off the pot, to quote a Kevin Smith movie, uh, Clerks. But when it comes to a beginner, when it comes to a five, almost six-year-old uh, young lady, yeah, yeah, I, I I got taught by like some really great people. And yeah, I can totally pass on the knowledge if they're willing to put in the work. And this young lady is begging me for lessons, begging me for lessons. I'm going over to uh, to our friend's place at least once a week. And every time over there, she's ready for the lesson. And so I'm really excited to pass on the knowledge. She's actually the reason why over the last few days, honestly, it's very that recent that I'm actually even considering maybe even trying to teach a little bit, even if it's just a side huddle, not, not, not a full thing. It's actually very fulfilling uh, to see these young minds grasp on something and get it. But hopefully something will change soon. But as of this point in time, it would be 
unfair and inaccurate for me to say I've had some kind of revival with the piano. But teaching basics that I learned 30 years ago to a five-year-old is nothing. <laughs> what would be something would be to her, for her or another student to be serious about it. And three or four or five years from now, I'm having to go back and restudy music theory and go, having to go back to go over, go over certain things. Music theory is like math. It sucks. <laughs> um, but I would have to like go back and relearn things just to be a good instructor. So, so, uh, but right now it's such in the beginning stages that, I mean, I haven't even got her twinkle, twinkle little star yet. We're, we're, we're still working on how, do, how do you touch the notes with your fingers? How do you roll off them with your wrist? And the how do you do the, this and the that? Fundamentals, the fundamentals. The fundamentals. Yeah. But which just, are very, which are very important. Just like the technique for a free throw. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, you gotta have that. I mean, it's good for people to, those very rare people that can just pick it up. Right. But. It's always good to, to have that basic... That's something else I've struggled with the last couple of days too, not to cut you off there. But like, I never want to compare her to me. I picked up things very quickly. I happen to be very good. Not bragging. If anything, it's less than bragging because I'm talking about wasted talent. But as long as she's getting it and enjoying it, then the sharing of the music is more important than... If she turns into, you know, the, the next Valentina Lasitza or Yolun Sum, basically, that's more important than anything else. It's the love of the music, the appreciation for classical music. That's what's more important to me. No, no, you gotta definitely have the, you gotta have that love for the music, establish that, that appreciation. Yeah. Now, so we had, we had the piano uh, thing going that, uh, the offer that you, you decided not to pursue. I know you eventually ended up in the military, the Navy in particular. What what made you decide? To, uh, was it the fact that you had this uh, military family that you made that decision? No, you, you're shaking your head. I didn't want to interrupt you again. I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, no. My father has pros and cons like every other father. If you're lucky enough to have a father around, a lot of people aren't. Uh, I need to count my lucky stars, don't I? But... As far as military fathers go, I'd say I was pretty lucky because most military fathers, especially those that do 20 years plus, and it's their lives, a lot of them, I don't want to put a percentage, but a lot of them, probably over half, put undue standards and like military style standards on their kids. Like raising them to be like, you know... Like little soldiers. Yeah. I was about to say little Hitlers, and I was like, what, what else should I say besides that? You said little soldiers. I'm like, yeah, perfect. That's even better. That's perfect. Um, my father had a unique routine, or at least it's unique as far as I know it to be. And I remember him describing it once, and he said that in his mind, he was never in the military unless it was in uniform. And my mother used to say that she could see him transition from one person to another as he got his uniform on in the morning to leave for work. And when he got back from work, he would take his uniform off and transition into dad or Michael or husband or whatever. Um, he did a really good job with that. Uh, of us three boys, of which again, I'm in the middle, which explains how just how fucked up I am. He, he was never overly military with us and none of us grew up wanting to join the military. I joined the military because in a weird set of events, mostly set up by bad decisions of myself, 
I ended up uh, homeless living out of my truck and hotel rooms in Orange County, California. And my way out was joining the military. That was my way out. So yeah. you, before we get to that, you were living, uh, from what I understand, you said you had a, a van or you, you said a truck? It was a truck. It was a little, uh, I forget what year, I think it was a 97 Nissan XE. So it wasn't extended cab. It was a small small bed, but it, but it was a little pickup, a five-speed pickup truck that I had. It was white. Yeah. A nice. So you got, you got a white pickup truck, Nissan, you said? Nissan, Nissan XE, yeah. Is, is it... Uh, where it's like it's got no no back. It's just a two two seater one. The d- two seater. There's no seats in the back. And there's I not had, extended I, cab I either. I had one. I had one. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. I, I, had I mean, a standard, but it could go, man. Like yeah, it, I had a standard. But okay. It was only four cylinder. It was nothing impressive, but yeah. But yeah. it was reliable. It was reliable. I, I don't remember what what exactly. Oh, I loved the truck. I loved the truck. But like, if you had anything more than like a picture frame to stick in the back, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you're on the beach. Uh, how old were you at the time? Twenty one. Twenty one years old. Yeah. On the beach in the. Ocean. I wasn't on the beach. Or, or, or Orange <laughs> County. I I I went to the beach uh, on several occasions, but depending on where you're at in Orange County, you're a good hour away from the uh, hour away from oh, the beach. Okay. I, I I I was I was the city boy in Orange County, California. I was not I was not doing a Matthew McConaughey on the beach. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cooler if I did, <laughs> but that's not the case though. That sucks. I've learned some like beach stories. Yeah, you, no yeah, beach. but I also drove around. God, what kind of can of words are going to open up here? I also drove around uh, uh, female escorts and like had a bunch of different kinds of fun myself. <laughs> I enjoyed California quite a bit. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, I mean, what what I mean, so so I've never been to California. Oh wow! All right. And you you were there in what, early. Well, 90s? so I was there right before I joined the Navy, and I was there right after I got out of the Navy, which was oh five. Okay. Um, but both times. Uh, we're less than a year each, so I can't claim to like know California as well as anyone else that's lived there or anything like that. And both times I lived in California, were in different spots. The first time was um, Bakersfield, and then down to Orange County, uh, where I joined the military out of, and we drove down to what was it, uh, San Diego, to fly out to Chicago. And the second time. I got out of San, got out. I got checked out in the two week process in San Diego. And a buddy of mine picked me up and we went up to Fresno and I spent the next uh, six, seven months, wherever it was, four or five months up in Fresno before I got DUI. Had to move back in with my mom and dad in San Antonio with my tail between my legs and broke. And it was just an awful, awful time in my life. Um, but yeah, so both times I spent in California were, were short stints and I can't claim I'm like a Californian. I can't do that. That's cool. That's fine. You're 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 a citizen of the world, as you. You're right. It's not about <laughs> one state, brother. There you go. Um, so we make the decision. All right, we're gonna go into into the uh, the military. Did you have a particular branch in mind, or particular what, what mind branch? Uh no, no. Well, well, yes. So even though I didn't have a particular interest in it, I knew I didn't have the money or the aptitude or discipline for college. So I actually did try to join the military twice beforehand. At both times with the Air Force because my father was in the Air Force. Not that I'm not a tough enough G to be in the Army or the Marines or anything, but like my father and his father were both retired Air Force. I wanted to carry on the tradition. Absolutely. If indeed I have to, have to, have to join the military. And there are two words that, that, that Anyone in the Air Force can hear, and they will just tell you to fuck the fuck off with Ron Jeremy's 
crooked ass dick. <laughs> and that is asthma and Ritalin. And I had one piece of paperwork by a doctor when I was 11 or 12, same, same time frame as the piano stuff, ironically, but with no connection. And uh, saying that, that she, uh, she suspected we, I, I had asthma. We went through a, th- a thousand tests. I even had an inhaler for a time, but apparently this woman was infatuated with asthma and diagnosed like 90% of her kids with asthma when obviously that wasn't the case. I didn't have asthma. I never did. Um, but because that word was in like three pages of medical records of my entire life, the Air Force wouldn't touch me. And, and to the point where I tried joining from a different city and my name still was red flagged up to where I was blocked from joining the Air Force twice. So when I went to join in California, different state, different everything else, uh, from Texas, from San Antonio, uh, where I was trying to join before, I just instinctively was like, I'm going to stay away from the Air Force. (laughs) Apparently, like, my name isn't something. I don't know how the state-to-state shit works, but, like, if I'm going to join the military and get off the streets, then I need to stay away from the Air Force. And the recruiting office I went to, a lot of times you'll have all four in a row, but the one I went to, there was army, there was an army branch with the front door to it, a separate building, a separate uh, office, but in the same building, and then right next to it, a navy. And I went to the army one first, because I'm like, navy, bunch of pussies. (laughs) You know, just like everyone else, like, bunch bunch of pussies. You know, so I go in the army one, and I remember sitting down with the army instructor, and he was, or recruiter, excuse me, uh, and he, I'm not talking shit about the army, he seemed dumber than a pile of rocks. I just, I couldn't get over how retarded he was. He made no sense. I can't give you exact examples, so please don't ask me. But I remember just sitting there having the impression of like, dude, you're a dumbass motherfucker, man. If the army is made up of you, if you are the guy representing to recruit, then fuck the army, bro. I have nothing, I have no interest in you at all. So now again, though, I need to get off the streets though. So I'm desperate. So... I don't just give up on the military. I go next door to the Navy. And I get this guy who ended up fucking me over pretty good. I don't know if, we'll, if the story will get into it, but it doesn't, doesn't matter though. I get this guy who tells me, <laughs> I don't know how true it is, but it doesn't matter when you're a young man who just wants pussy. <laughs> this guy tells me, he, 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 he goes, Adam, I've been to 64 different countries and I'm set to retire in the next like six, seven, eight months or something like that. He goes, I got laid in 63 of those countries and only one time did I pay for it. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. He looks at me dead in the eyes and he goes, Adam, if you'd have seen her, you would have paid too. (laughs) I was hooked. I was like, maybe it is. Let's do this. And please remember, this was in late 2000. Uh, uh, So this is before... 9-11, 9-11, we're in time of peace. I'm not thinking of let's, let's go off and defend my country. I'm thinking let's travel the world and get some pussy. <laughs> so it wasn't like a, am I a tough guy or am I not tough guy type of thing. It wasn't an option for me. We'd been at peace for uh, 10 years at that point after the Gulf War, which I remember vividly. My father was still active during the Gulf War. He wasn't over there, but, but it was a big family thing though. And, and so, I mean... It was, it was a no-brainer to me. I'm like, yeah, let's go off and chase some pussy. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll sail around for some pussy. I'll just pick it up like a plankton in a shark or whatever, you know, or a whale or whatever. And so um, 
Uh, it was a couple months before I actually started boot camp. It was February 5th, 2001 when I started boot camp. And I joined the fleet, I think it was July 13th or 16th of 2001, after boot camp and all, all that stuff. And it was a few months. I, I got to experience, let's say, a few months, like three months of peacetime military. And then 9-11 happened and everything changed. And then I, and then I saw the full, the full mode of, oh, we were at peacetime yesterday. Now we're at war. And everything is different now. Everything. So uh, how, yeah, it was, it was fucking nuts. So how long were you, were you in the military? When, 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 did you, when did you get into the military? What year? I started boot camp February 5th, 2001. And I turned oh, 22 so, in boot camp. I was a little older than a lot so of people. You, you got, so I turned 22 in March. And I was in boot camp when I turned 22. So you got in you got in before 9-11, right? Before yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in the fleet. I, w- I was already in Japan. I was already stationed in Japan. I was already with my ship, the USS Juno, uh, for, for a couple months. Not very long, but like two or three months before 9-11 happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you get you get in. You're in, you're in, uh, you're in the Navy. And... You're, you're you're basically you're in the on a ship in the water, right? That's that's a lot of a lot of your time. Or talk about what was what was it like being in the navy? Like I don't I don't know what the fuck that means. What does that mean? It took me a while to figure this out, but the military is such a huge organization. Think of like not a great example, but like the Catholic Church or like the YMCA or Boy Scouts. You're talking about an organization that's so huge that you have different facets that work a little bit differently from one place to another because they're so huge and they have to adapt to the to, to the, uh, the regional aspects of things, right? Maybe Girl Scout cookies sell better in LA than they do in Fort Lauderdale. I don't fucking know. I'm making it up. But, 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 but you're going to, you're going to, as a national organization or international organization as military is, you're going to make up for what, for what you're doing. With, with, with the Navy, I was I'm trying to, figure out how I want to word this correctly with it while not white line. Uh, so I was part of amphibious Navy, which takes up less than 2% of the Navy. What is amphibious Navy? Do you remember the opening scene to saving private Ryan? Yes. So, so you have all those guys, mostly Marines, but a ton of sailors and they're on smaller boats, smaller boats that obviously didn't pass the ocean. These boats came out of bigger boats. And then they attacked the beach out of these smaller boats, right? Right. That's amphibious Navy, like an alligator, like a crocodile. It's an amphibious creature that can go from land, uh, from, from sea to land. I was part of the amphibious Navy. That's less than, that's like 2% of the Navy. Uh, to give you another comparison, some Marines or some Mariners are, I believe, like less than 1% of the Navy. So what I experienced is not going to be necessarily representative of what someone else's average Navy life was. Uh, I've worked with other Navy vets in the past, and our stories are so completely different, it's ridiculous. It's not even comparable. Uh, You're talking about a worldwide organization that's different everywhere you're at. With that being said, though... I was in a foreign country in Japan, and I love Japan. I have nothing but good words to say about Japan. All my love and, and, and everything out to uh, Fukushima and that disaster. They're still dealing with it. No one's talking about it to this day. We were what's called forward deployed. We were called tip of the sword. So anything that happens that side of the, of the world, we're the first responders. So we were underway more. We were away from home port more than most people were in the Navy. And so... 
I have a hard time answering that question because my experience is probably a bit different than a lot of people's experience. Not because I'm special by any means. It just is what it is. What 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 did you like so much about Japan? I have I have a little bit of a so like a, I'm a huge fan. May I take a break? No one was in this out. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. need to use the restroom. Is this uh, a bad thing to do? No, no. Is this going to no, fuck up the flow? No, I'm going to no, hold on to this for like 15 minutes. Please, take a piss. I'm going to take it. Take it. Okay, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I don't know how that works, but I'm sorry. I'm going to make an announcement. So for those of you that don't un- that did not know this, I also have another podcast called uh, The Weekly Wrap-Up. Now, The Weekly Wrap-Up has been on hiatus because of... Uh, for obvious reasons, the coronavirus decided that hey, there's also no sports, so we don't have any sports going on. Well, it's coming back. We got we got some we got some soccer happening. We got definitely a lot of UFC going on. So there's stuff that needs to be covered that I myself have not been covering. That will be coming back next week. Get all your sporting news, all your sporting opinions, and predictions. Just uh, tune in for the weekly wrap up on uh, Spotify, iTunes. All that shit. Sorry about that, dude. I, I, hold on. Oh, man, you're good. All right. All right, so where do we leave off? <sighs> oh, yeah, the uh, the, the Navy. Uh, uh, okay, was, so, oh, was, yeah, Japan, Japan. Oh, what Japan. did I love so much about Japan? So, before, uh, so from, uh, I'm a huge uh, Pride fan. I don't know if you know anything about Pride, Pride uh, FC. Uh, the fighting? Yes. Like Bellator? So, uh, so, I'm not huge, but I, I'm definitely familiar. Yes. So Pride, for those of you that don't know, is probably the greatest MMA organization ever to have existed. Um, it's from Japan, and they do not give a fuck about steroids. So, <laughs> so, so you just—they got my vote. So you just have like the best fighters, but they're in Japan on steroids, and guess what? They get paid more money. It was they got they got paid good money, and it was great. I loved it. And guess what? You could stomp people in the face, knee them in the head while they were down. You know, it was a little barbaric. I don't agree with all those rules, by the way. Flying, but... flying, flying head stomps. Like they would jump up in the air to do a head stomp. Yeah, it was that's brutal. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> but um, either way, so, but the Japanese people um, are very like respectful and like courteous, kind. Um, talk a little bit about so I know when you're in the Navy, you are allowed. Did they give you a for were they furloughs or will you, will you uh, go on land for a little while? It's called uh, uh, liberty. Liberty. Okay. It's called liberty. Uh-huh. Yeah, I uh, do not want to spend too much of this podcast talking about how much I love the Japanese people and culture, but I will tell you that I absolutely love the Japanese people <laughs> and their culture. Few other places in the world can you leave your wallet full of cash in a taxi cab that drove you back to base and you're running back in time to make your midnight curfew or you are fucked in the ass. And the next day you're like, oh shit, I left my wallet in the curtain or, 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 or something. Or you have to at least have your ID, but whatever. You lose something in, in, in a taxi cab. And the next day it's at the front post, all your cash in it. The, 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 the honor... And, and, and the awesomeness of the Japanese people cannot be overstated. They're caring, caring people at the same time, though. I would say that it's like any other culture with mostly caring, awesome people. They're full of assholes, too. 
Well, yeah. They are. I mean, I would they assume are. there's definitely a lot of assholes there. Like, hey, motherfuckers, y'all bombed the shit out of us. Well, <laughs> there is some of that for sure. But even not going there. Right. Um, which is a, a different destination to go if, if you really want to. But but that's that's a couple of generations ago now, to be fair, though. True, but, true. But, but that's still a fair thing to say. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah, they have fair. a Nagasaki nuclear museum to this day standing there for people to go there to watch. I just go there and see. I never went there. The pussy was in Fukuoka. No, the um, <laughs> the uh, uh, but also Japan has different laws than the United States as well. United States, you cannot refuse service to somebody just because you want to. When they come in, if they're not dressed appropriately, if they act inappropriately, you can tell them to fuck off, no problem. But in Japan, it's straight up like like you walk in the door and you're like a white dude like me or just an obvious American like like you. You're not white, you're Hispanic, but like, you know you know whatever, right? right? Someone's obvious. You can tell they're dressed. Obviously American who walk in the door, they look at you and I know I know this motion means nothing on a podcast, but they look at you and they go baka gaijin, baka gaijin, right to your face, the rudest fucking thing you'll ever see in your life. Baka gaijin, baka gaijin, and baka gaijin is basically like no aliens allowed. Now, you can take that interpretation as to mean no illegal aliens. But if you understand what the Japanese means, what they're really saying is you're a goddamn alien from another planet and you're not fucking welcome here. Fuck you. Hold on. Where, where, where is this happening at? Japan. My where God. I was stationed at. As a matter of fact, up in Fukuoka where I told you all the pussy was, there's like only like two or three spots Americans can go. At least American military can go. I want to, I want to clarify that. Oh. And everyone else will be like, Baka Gaijin, go fuck yourself. You're not welcome here. Dude, we all have bigger dicks. We, we, have, we have American money in our pocket. The Japanese don't want to compete with us, bro. Even the Japanese that have decent-sized dicks in a big-sized pocket, a, a wallet, they don't want to compete with us, bro. It's straight up like, dude, fuck you, get the fuck out of here. And, and so they do have different rules. They're not, by, by no means are they a perfect culture or perfect whatever, but I will say by and large, I had mostly nothing but positive uh, interactions and memories of the Japanese people and the Japanese culture. So how, how does uh, the Navy work? How, how, first of all, how many years were you in the Navy? Four years, three months. And that time, were you stationed off of different spots of the world or were you mostly in Asia? Where, where were you? stations so the way military contracts work is that um well i can't speak too extensively on this but but i will speak to the overseas contracts and that is that overseas contracts are dod which are department defense contracts departments of defense contracts and those are three-year-long contracts when you sign up for the military most of us the vast majority of us sign up for four years that's the standard even if you go back to the States on like a two-year DOD contract, you cannot take that uh, a contract without extending or re-enlisting uh, your service to the military because otherwise they will not send you somewhere else if you only have a year left on your contract, but it's a two-year gig or a three-year gig. So I went to Japan on a three-year DOD contract, but you have to include on my four-year uh, contract boot camp, A school, a month of leave, which is what most people do. And, and I'm, I fall in that group of most people. I think it was like 20 something days, but whatever, it was, it was close to a month. 
So you're already looking like four months in. So by the time my three-year three year DOD contract is up, I only have like seven, eight months left on my contract. I can't go anywhere else. And that's where they get you a lot of times because people that want to get out of the situation so bad will actually re-enlist or extend their contract just to get out of their current location because they want to get out of where they're at so bad. I've seen it happen time and time again. I didn't do that. But I did extend for a couple months. Like I said, I was, I was in for four years and three months because I straight up, I don't know if anyone listening to this or you wants to think of me less American for it, but I'll be absolutely honest. I extended for three months because I was straight up a fucking mercenary. I was participating in a war in the Gulf, the Gulf War, that I did not believe in. I did not agree in, but the money was fantastic, dude. It doesn't make me proud to say this, but it's the truth. I signed up for, I, I extended for three months to get that extra money in. I did not save up the money like I should have my entire time in the Navy. I knew I was getting out. And I knew it would be the toughest three months ever because I wanted to get out just as bad as everyone the fuck else wanted to get out. But I did it. So I saved up some money. Why? So I could blow it in Fresno <laughs> on a DUI and move back to San Antonio with my parents with nothing. That's what I did all the extra work for, sir. So, uh, Your country yeah. thanks you. Thank you very much. Your yeah, yeah, you're you. welcome. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> motherfucker. Whatever. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, though. That's very fair. <laughs> I'll make fun of myself better than anyone else can. Every time. So we make a full circle back to uh, San Antonio. You know, we we're talking about San Antonio earlier before we started, and we were talking about how, like how how I was telling you how people don't even people in Texas don't even know how big San Antonio is. I was I was I didn't know the San Antonio <laughs> in Dallas. So I mean, I fall in the same trap. So sure, so sure. Yeah, because I was like. Uh, I was like, yeah, it's like top ten in the country, and you were you were like, no, well, you actually know you agreed on that. But no, I knew that. Yeah, but but I did not. I, I did not remember that it was that San Antonio was bigger population wise than Dallas. That also depends on how you want to add in the uh, suburbs and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. So, um, so you come back to Dallas. How old were you? When you I mean, Dallas, San Antonio. You come back to San Antonio. How old were you at that time? Did you like it's like twenty five? Um, twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah, 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 26. So we're back, San Antonio, Texas, 26 years old, money blown. So, <laughs> so, so. Thanks for throwing that <laughs> in my face. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So what, what, uh, what, kind of, what kind of jobs were you working at that time? Like, what, what, what were you doing? I'm sure well, I mean, well, well um, I was a bosun's mate in the Navy, which means nothing to anyone outside the Navy, but basically just think of manual labor and bullshit. And so it wasn't uh, a job that really um, transferred to civilian life. So I went back to doing what I did before I joined the Navy, which is waiting tables. And I immediately went white right back into waiting tables. And I've tried a, my hand at a couple other things in the meantime. But for the most part, I've basically just stuck at waiting tables for this entire time. I'll tell you why I chose waiting tables. I've always felt that it was good money for what I was doing, right? Yeah. I've done it's full-time pay for part-time work, brother. <laughs> there you go. It is. It is. Um, it is. It is. It, you know, it was, uh, I've done construction. I've done all these other 
other jobs, man. And, and it was just not, you know, when it comes to, it just wasn't a, I would work harder for the same amount. And then when it came to like, especially when you get to, to the level of fine dining, right? It's like I, people would, I've had people hand me hundred dollar bills for doing bullshit. And it's just like, what? This is how this works? These people, when you're dealing with the one percenters, right? When you're dealing with the people that don't give a fuck about money, it's it's pretty lucrative for really the amount of work. Like I'm holding hors d'oeuvres, making four or five hundred dollars sometimes a night. It's does does it, it's it, it's almost it doesn't make sense to me sometimes. You know how how is this happening? How how am I making this money? You know I I came straight out of prison, and was like uh. You know what I could do? Just like, well, I was actually, uh, I actually served before I ever went in. And I realized, you know, because I've always had this kind of hustler mentality, you know, where it's all about like how much, how much is my hour worth? Like I always, even from a young age, I always saw it like that, like an hour of my time. I would put a value on that. And that's smart. My father, who was a retired financial advisor from USAA after his 21-year Air Force career, used to say the same thing. I'm, I'm sorry interrupting, but but no, no, you nail it right in the head. He used to tell me this all the time. You have to put a value on every single minute of your life. And then after that, every time you spend a dollar, you have to compare it to how much you make per hour of your labor. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm no, you're sorry. You're good. You're good. So that's one, that's one thing that I, uh, that I noticed when I was when I was waiting tables, I was like, I would make all this cash in a short period amount of time, and I was like, for doing what, for doing for doing what I would do for anyone that came over to my house that said, hey, you know what, I was like, hey, are you thirsty? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I I could get for yeah. So I bring here's your soda. Oh, uh, you know, I, I, are you hungry? I got you know I got something. You know, I cook you up something. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hungry. For that, like that's not anything like uh, to me. You know, in the restaurant business, it's hospitality, right? But like in real life, it's just just being a good person, you know, just being just, you know, having a guest come. You know, it's, it's people, um, you know, we are a, a culture that is a uh, what was the proper term? Like, uh, uh, like you know, we're, we're tribal, right? We're meant to be we're meant to live together. Every culture is tribal. Right, right. So I think that's a human nature thing. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. we always have this like this welcoming approach to. People coming over to your home, right? Like, hey, how you doing? At least that's what the way I was. You know, it depends how you're raised, right? But that's all. But for most people, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's one thing I always, uh, and that's why, like, like yourself, you said you went back to it from the Navy. I went back to it as well. I, I did that before I went to prison, and I got out of prison, and boom, I went to. It's the, what you know. It's it's what you know, and and it's like it's like we were saying. It's it's there's a comfort level with what you know. Right. Right. What what kind of things did you like about about because you how long have you been in the service industry now? Legally, in the age of Texas, you can't start working before the age of sixteen. And as far as I remember, like very shortly after I turned sixteen, I don't remember how shortly, but pretty shortly, I was a busboy at um, I don't want to name places, but a, a, a country club in San Antonio. I got fired because I was an asshole. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I stole liquor out the back. That's a funny story. I'm not going to tell you the whole story because it's, it's too time wasting. But basically, I didn't even know what liquor I should be stealing. And I stole bottles of like, 
green carousel and shit. Like, I didn't know what the fuck what I was grabbing. And I got fired for it because, of course, I would. Um, and then I, and then go back to fine dining for years. I, I, I went over to busting tables at the Olive Garden and, uh, and, uh, that was also my first waiting job. I got promoted from bus boy to, 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 to server. And, uh, yeah, no. So, 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 uh, uh yeah, no, I, I, my very beginning was the restaurants. Um, it just is what it is. I don't know. <laughs> it just is what it is. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what else to say really, because, because to be honest with you, I, I, I'm. I'd love to think I'm like a really deep, intelligent person. And maybe in some ways I am, and most ways I'm not. But to be honest with you, I'm just as average as every other person you'll ever, ever meet in your entire life. And I will gravitate toward what's comfortable and what I'm good at. If, if, if you're not good at playing the piano, some people might keep playing the piano, but they're not going to pursue it. If, 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 if you're not good at public speaking, you're not going to turn into Winston Churchill. You're, you're, you're going to gravitate what you're good at. And, and, uh, uh, I wish I was good at like being a nuclear engineer or something, but you know what? I'm good at waiting tables. So whatever. I, I, I don't know what to say to that, but, but, but there, I think there's a common truth that I think most people would, would agree with on that. You're going to gravitate toward what you know and you're comfortable with and you're good with. One one thing that I liked about waiting tables was I always viewed each table like a, almost like a a new performance. You know, you, you kind of, you know, people, you especially you get to fine dining. It's a little bit different. It's def, you know, you, you people at that level appreciate the show, right? You 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 see, right? I mean, some do, some don't, but the ones that you gotta read the room, bro. right? You gotta read the room, but at the same time. If 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 you sense it, it's not going to hurt you not to try to get that extra. If 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 you think you can get it right, if if you feel like hey, maybe me or these people are nice, they're having a good time because you, some you can tell when these you know these people want you to talk to them. They're very engaged. For I I agree and disagree with you. I I I mostly disagree with you, uh, because I don't think most people give a shit about you or me or their server as far as like when to get to know them or know when to get to know us. But I would agree on the aspect of we live in Texas. We live in the South. Southern hospitality is actually a very real thing. It actually really is. Uh, people don't talk about it, but it actually really is a thing. And there are so many more people in the South that will take more interest in you than most other places from what I can tell. So you're actually right in a way, but I think you're right in my own personal way that you could totally disagree with and that's fine. But I, I believe you're right in a way that's unique to being in the Southern state with Southern hospitality natures. But I, I think you're, I would say that I think you're largely wrong if you're looking at a national or even or even much more a global way of waiting tables i i think i think you're wrong on that okay but being from texas i i i i don't i can't fault you for thinking that way at all i can't yeah because i mean uh like yeah like you said it's it's a culture right texas is like you said it's a southern, southern hospitality yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a thing yeah um yeah yeah do you, any particular standout moments that you can think of where it was just like, wow, I can't, I can't believe that just happened. With waiting tables? Yeah. Okay. I have one for you. 
It was my first job out of the Navy, but my first job, or my second job technically, but my first job I quit after like a week and a half. Fuck that job. But, but my first real job back in San Antonio after getting out of the Navy. Remember I told you I was in Fresno. I failed and I moved back to San Antonio and I had a job that, that sucked for a minute or two and, and, and I went over to, um, I won't name the restaurant, but I, I was in a restaurant. Uh, I will name the area, 2D1 and 1604 in San Antonio. There are a lot of restaurants around there, so no one can pin anything on this unless they know me and they want to comment on it. But um, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> is. nobody is. But, um, but no, so I worked at a restaurant whose roof got on fire. Literally, you know the salamanders that are above the grill areas? We found out what happened afterwards. During the time, of course, we didn't understand what was happening. But afterwards, um, there are contractors that come in to clean out these vents to to make sure, you know, they're clean. And, you know, shit doesn't happen, you know, obviously. Well, apparently these contractors didn't do the right job or whatever the fuck. And uh, the salamander went up in flames, and <laughs> and, it, and it literally it literally burnt. It literally set the roof on fire of a restaurant that not only did I work in, but it was part of a building with like a Barnes and Nobles and like, and like other uh, other businesses. It was a huge building. It was a strip mall area, right? At least five or six other uh, 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 Barnes Nobles was a few doors down. They were never in danger, but, but whatever it was, it was a huge, it was a huge building though. Uh, we were on the edge of it. We were uh, anyway. Um, I remember us standing outside of the building. Uh, actually. So to answer your question. So, so what was crazy about it is that it was during a lunch break and most people that work like normal jobs, not like us waiting tables, but like normal jobs, right? They have like an hour, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less to grab lunch and they go back to work. That's all the time they've got. They're working with what they got. Well, they happened to go into a restaurant that day for lunch that got lit on motherfucking fire. (laughs) So we literally had a restaurant filling up with, with smoke and it finally became like, dude, it was unedible. It was bad. It was bad. It was on fire, bro. All right? And then uh, 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 the line cook, whose name I won't say, but he's also deceased and a buddy of mine. But, but a line cook took out the fire extinguisher. And, and, I mean, he didn't want to because the moment you fire out this fire extinguisher, it's done. The restaurant's closed. Once you, once you send out those chemicals, the restaurant's closed. It's done. That's health, health standards. You can't do anything about it. He was a my, he, he could have been a GM, but he was or, or, or a kitchen manager, but he wasn't. He but he was he was that influential of a guy. He busted out the fire extinguisher and was just like, Kah! and just Kah, 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 <laughs> and just took all the fire out and filled up the entire restaurant with. It was already filled up with smoke, but now it's filled up with, with with. Whatever the fuck shoots out Anti-firing the bullshit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whatever the fuck that is. Thank you for saving me right there, Victor, because that could have been like five minutes of awkwardness. But but yeah, but yeah. Uh, um, and, and we're literally we're literally sitting there going, hey, everyone, you have to leave right now. You have to pay your tabs. You don't have to give us tips. Literally, we all understand what's going on, and literally everyone must leave right now. And you literally have people sitting there eating their food, 
because they have no time. Before you judge them again, oh, they're so stupid. What the fuck are they doing? No, no. These are people that literally have no other time to go anywhere else to get food. They have to finish up their food and go back to work in a restaurant that's on fire. And it was crazy. And I remember, I remember uh, there's a group of us outside after the fact. The fire was out. Uh, this is an hour or two later. We're staying outside the restaurant and we're all going, the roof, the roof, <laughs> the roof is on fire. Hey, everybody, let the motherfucking burn. And then like after like five or ten minutes of us jumping around singing this shit because we're dumbass young people, then all of a sudden we're all standing around going, do we have a job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it took ten days for them to fix the roof, and then everything got back to normal again. But but if you're asking me for a weird experience, that's probably the weirdest experience I, I've ever gone through myself. Any celebrities? Um. Okay. Okay. That's funny. Okay. So, I I I have not taken care of like huge, 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 huge celebrities uh, uh, before anyone gets excited about the story. But I will tell you this. I was in San Antonio working at Downtown Roots Chris. I will say something that only matters to people that live in San Antonio at the Sunset location. Anyone else, fuck it. It's not worth the explanation. But anyway, at the Sunset location, and there was a Saturday playoff game between the Spurs and the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that was back when, this was years ago, back when... when um, uh, Harden uh, was still over there? Uh, Harden was still there. I I I, remember, I don't forget the names. I'm not I'm I, I don't remember. I'm not a big basketball guy, but like but like uh, Durant was still there. Uh, Russell Westbrook was still there. Okay, okay. Now I waited on a table of five people, and, and by the way, I was a newer server there, and it just so happened it was in the rotation that they got in my section. That's all it was. Okay, all it was. And Russell Westbrook was in the group. But there were other two two other players I didn't recognize and two other trainers that fucking nobody would recognize. Why would they? Unless you're some diehard fan, I guess. So there so I recognized Russell Westbrook and four of the people I didn't know. Two of the players, two of the trainers, a five top. And this was a Saturday where it was a, a playoff game and it was like a I don't remember, let's call it a noon game, a one o'clock in the afternoon uh central time game the San Antonio game right right Texas game the central game and um it was it, it, I don't remember who won the series I think the Spurs won the series but but I don't think this game was representative of the series though the game the Spurs beat the Thunder by like 22 or 25 points it was it was it was embarrassing it was it was it was hands down like we just destroyed the fuck out of the Thunder okay if I'm gonna guess this was in like 08 or 09, but I don't want to think about it too much. I'm probably wrong. But anyway. I think that's the year that OKC beat them. Was it the Western Conference? 08, 09, I think, is when LeBron played OKC in the finals. But it, it, I, it doesn't I, matter. I, it doesn't I, matter. I, I can't say. I just know there's a playoff game <laughs> uh-huh. in like the first like two rounds of, of the playoffs. I don't remember if the Spurs won the, the championship that year or not. I, I, dude, I'm not a huge basketball fan. I can just tell you, though, that the Spurs romped the fuck out of the Thunder that day. I don't even remember if they won the series, bro. But I remember they <laughs> fucked the shit out of the Oklahoma City Thunder that day. All right? That's what I'm telling you. And so, and so after the game, 
they choose to come into Ruth's Chris and they get my section out of complete habit without me thinking of a single thing at all. Me going, me literally going in front of a table of people I may or may not know because I just know it's a thunder table. That's all I know. Before I approach them, I don't know anything else. I'm just going, I'm going to keep the script fucking yeah. wh- whatever it is. I'm going to stay comfortable. I don't want to fuck up. You know what I mean? So I literally walk up and I was like, hey, how's everyone doing this evening? And I have five people glare up at me like this. And you can't see that on a podcast, but it's a mean glare, bro. It's a mean <laughs> glare. And I look at them and I go, and in my head I'm like, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and I look at them and I go, hey guys, force of habit. Didn't mean anything by it. Um, so would you like still or sparkling water? They're like still water. I'm like, great. I'll be right back with that. And I felt so awful about it. Now, for the rest of the experience, I took care of them. I didn't talk about basketball or anything at all. At the very end, I told them something that was kind of true. And I said, hey, guys, I'm not even from San Antonio. I'm like, I'm not a San Antonio guy. Please don't take anything I said earlier in the wrong way. I, I didn't mean it like that at all. Have a great night. And they left me an average 20% sip and... I have no complaints to say about anything of it all. I think one of the one, one, one of the fucking managers or trainers paid or whatever. I don't fucking know. But 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 if you're looking for a weird experience, that's one I could give you. There's another one or two I could, but that's the first one that came to mind. I think I only served on uh, one professional athlete. That was Andy Pettit. That was pretty cool because I'm a diehard Yankee fan. I know you are. I know you are. You piss every Houstonian off with that bullshit of yours. I don't even like baseball, and I find you to be a contrarian ass, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I'm a little concerned because recently there was a there's like I, there's so apparently the Yankees uh, were under investigation years back, and whatever they found was sealed, and now it's going to be unsealed. You know, I was very uh, very critical. On the Houston Astros for, for the cheating. The, well, because you're a Yankees fan. No, no, no. Because I am a fan of integrity. Oh, uh, sure. Because I. Oh, sure. Because easy to say when you're a Yankees fan. Listen, is I believe you shouldn't cheat. Not not like that. Like the blatant. Like okay, we have this camera and it's like zooming in and we're gonna steal the signals and then we're gonna transport the signals to the batter. Like, get the fuck out of here. Let's keep some integrity in the game. So if this information comes out about my New York Yankees, that my New York Yankees are doing that kind of level of bullshit, I will come on and I will let it be known how disappointed I am in my Yankees and how it is wrong, and how it's fucked up. I'm not going to exclude them from this. I'm fair. If, if hey man, they- I'm not a baseball fan at all, at all, at all, at all, at all. <laughs> so everything I say probably shouldn't be listened to at all. But as I understand this, I think what I'm about to say is fair, but you can tell me if I'm unfair. Minus technology-driven advances, basically every team has tried to cheat for like over 100 years. I agree. Oh, so fuck you, bro. Like, I'm not even uh, defending the Astros. I don't even give a fuck about baseball. I don't even watch baseball. I don't give a fuck about baseball. But it seems pretty hypocritical if you're willing to allow every other form of cheating except the cheating that pissed you the fuck off. Here's the thing. (laughs) One of (laughs) of the great things about deception, right? (laughs) 
is that if you are able to deceive and nobody finds out, well, then you need to be able to take credit for that. That's that's a no cop, no stop. Fucking uh, no no uh, uh, advance to that. No cop, no stop. Fuck that. I mean, and and I can't just sit here and be like, okay, well, everyone cheated, and just say. Everyone. What about uh, steroids, bro? Okay, so I just saw the documentary. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it. Long, no, I haven't. No, uh, it's okay. Are you talking about Icarus? No, Long Gone Summer. Oh, I haven't seen either one, by the way. Okay, okay. okay. A All Long right. Gone Summer, basically the documentary of the ninth, you know, the Sosa Maguire Home Run Derby. That season. I remember that year. That's I was actually busboying at Sunset Country Club. Year Country Club ever. All right. In baseball, ever. It's, it's probably the only year you ever gave a shit about. Uh yes, it was. Yes, but it you was. Gave, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was, it was. Everybody gave a shit I about it. I didn't give a shit about baseball then or now, but that season I paid attention to the home run race. Yes. You're goddamn right I did. Everybody did. Oh, yeah. It oh, was yeah. like, okay, oh, yeah. here's history. Oh, yeah. is the home. Everybody knows the home run, right? I mean, you're a sports fan, right? You're a big football guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but you you do, under, I mean, every, it's like everybody knows how fucking hard it is to hit a baseball. Dude, that's like hitting like like... The most touchdowns you could throw in a season or... And it's even bigger than that. It's bigger than... I would argue that's bigger than the Ironman record. I would argue that that's... That that's I, I, I would argue that's like, 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 like a huge achievement. I really would. I really would. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So that, that was... Uh, yeah, I just saw that documentary. And uh, it was okay. I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I thought that uh, they could have done... Did a lot more with it. I thought it was kind of, kind of longer than it needed to be. Well, folks, thanks for listening, Adam. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Victor. I've enjoyed my time a whole lot. We did and, an hour, uh, an hour and I, a half. Has it been that long? Yeah, it didn't yeah. feel like that long. It never does. Thank you very much. You've been such a great conversationalist, and thank you so much for uh, asking great questions and being patient with me. And I, I thank you so much, Victor. Thank you so much. Oh, it was easy. It was easy. All right, folks, you have a good one.